Welcome to another episode of the Just a Couple Dudes podcast. I'm your host, Eric Flatiger, and this is actually an interview I did with a guy named Bobby Cording a little while back on a previous podcast, and I wanted to bring it on to the Just a Couple Dudes forum and release it for everyone to hear because it's an amazing um, talk and discussion about drug addiction. Bobby's own personal story and what he's doing now today and um, it's really good stuff and I just wanted to share this with all of you I hope you like it and give us some feedback and you can check out the just a couple dudes podcast now on Spotify along with Apple podcast and Podbean as usual so just let us know reach out to us on Instagram you can look at us j.a.k.d underscore podcast so that's jacked podcast on Instagram all right everybody please enjoy What's up, Bobby? How's it going? It's going good, man. I'm really excited, though, to have you in here, dude. Uh, I've been wanting to do this one for a while. Like I told you before, I just kind of wanted to wait and see where things were going with like, the whole podcast, but things have been rolling, man, and so I'm pretty excited that you're here. Well, thank you. But, I'm uh, excited to be here. Just to give Bobby a quick introduction, Bobby is the clinical outreach manager at Canyon Vista Recovery, right? That's correct. And Canyon Vista... If, Mistake me if I'm wrong. It's one of the biggest recovery addiction centers in the country, right? It's uh, so it's part of Summit Behavioral Health, okay. which is a very large provider. Summit's our parent company, yeah. so we have 19 facilities across the country. Yeah, because Arizona is like the hotbed. For, Hot. Yeah, that's where a lot of a lot of people come, right? Big time. Yeah. So, anyways, I met Bobby just because uh, through work, through my work, actually. Um, he came in one day. Um, I'm like the student advisor and mentor at uh, high school, local high school in Phoenix. And Bobby came in one day just to see if we could do something about him coming in and talking, giving his message, because he knows a lot about the world of addiction, because it's been, uh, I would say, a pretty intimate thing in your life. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I don't know if intimate's the best word, but it, it's been a part of your life. Huge right? part of my life. Huge part of your life. And uh, for better or worse, it's made you the person you are today, right? Big time. Yeah. So... I guess the way I want to segue this is since you are the clinical outreach manager, you know, how do you come to be that at a place like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. Yeah, Super no problem, grateful man. to be here. Uh, how it all started was I went to Prescott in 2012 to get sober and I ended up going through a program. It's called New Freedom. It's still around today. Uh, and when I got there, I fell in love with the environment. And what I fell in love with was the camaraderie, the brotherhood. And it was a group of guys, a house full of guys mm -hmm. that were all drug addicts and had a little bit of time underneath their belt. And when I showed up, they just picked me up, showed me how to live. And, and I, I did that program for six months. And that program included a ton of stuff. And when I graduated that program, the owner at the time, who I became to get really close with um he's he's i mean he's my best friend today and he just threw it out there he's like would you want a house manage this house and at the time i was all about it at the time i was like this is it was an honor it was because this program saved my life so when he offered that i was blown away i was extremely grateful and i was like yes so what happened was i ended up house managing for that program for two years to the point where that gentleman uh his name's al he actually had to say to me, like, hey, it's time to move on. And at the time, him and his business partner were opening up a treatment center. And they said, do you want to come on and be a part of this thing? And I was, once again, extremely honored, grateful that they considered me. And that's how my work in recovery started. And from there, I became the housing director of that program and then the program director. 
and the director of operations and all while I was being guided. Yeah. Like they gave me the tools on how to do that. Yeah. Um, and they were very active in helping me in every single one of those positions. And the key, the key part, which, which both these guys understood and both these guys were extremely supportive because it was their passion is I wanted to be in the trenches with the guys just like they were. Yeah. And, and that was huge. That's awesome, man. So, uh, I guess my next question is how did you come to even know of this place? Of New Freedom? Yeah. So I uh, I went to a 30-day program in Wisconsin, very similar to the program I work for today. Mm-hmm. And while I was at that 30-day program, my therapist, he said there's a program down in Prescott, Arizona, and really good for young men, 18 to 30 years old, 30 year old um, and, and they're going to teach you how to live. And when he said that to me, I was scared because, mind you, 15 days ago, I was sitting in a jail cell. Yeah. And to make a move 2000 miles away from home, away from my family was was that's was big. scary. Yeah. It was huge. Big. You know, so he gave me some of the best advice anybody's ever given me. He said, "I know you're scared right now, but tonight before bed, I want you to hit your knees and I want you to pray." And at that point, I'm not going to lie, and I grew up Catholic, but I mm-hmm. didn't have a relationship with God because the the six previous years was years that were filled with drugs and God was the furthest thing. So yeah. in that moment, that night, I prayed to a God that I didn't even know I believed in. Yeah, wow. And I said, if there is a God, please show me. And that night I had a dream, and the dream was a vision of a bunch of guys sitting in a circle, laughing, having a good time. I woke up the next day, went to his office, and I said, I'm going to Prescott. Wow, dude. That's big, man. Yeah. That's really big. Yeah, so, I mean, quick interjection. Um one thing that I took away from when Bobby did come to the high school that I uh, work at and he got to talk to a bunch of different classrooms. We didn't have as much time to get into things like we do now, so I'm kind of excited for this. But, um, man, every now and then I meet people who have, like, like a nuclear furnace of an engine in them. You know what I mean? Big like time. people who are just done so much, live so wildly, but have also have just a sheer amount of motivation, drive, intention in life. And you're definitely one of them, man. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, and your story, even the, just the bits and pieces I took from it, I was like, wow, this is nuts. Like, this is incredible. And uh, I think I do, you know, kind of want to get into it. So uh, we, we talked a little bit about where you work and how you got there, and you mentioned some of the things and issues with, you know, drugs and addiction. So if you want, we can rewind it yeah. To, yeah. Uh, to the beginning to part. The beginning. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um so originally, I'm from Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. It's about 20 miles north of Milwaukee. And I mean, I grew up, my background, my family's amazing. Okay. Yeah. I, I have a great family, mom and dad, amazing. I never wanted or needed for anything. They gave me a perfect life. And on the outside, everything always looked good. And and I don't just say that as like a cliche thing to say. I mean, I really, I really have two parents that they've been married for 30 plus years. Excellent examples. Uh, the example I always use about my father is... Um, I played sports growing up and, and he wasn't one of the dads on the sidelines that was like yelling at me. And if I had a bad game, I'd come home and he wasn't yelling. He'd always encourage and always tell me you'll get him next time and keep going and keep going. And, and from a young age, he always taught me that hard work and, and finding something that you're truly passionate about, uh, will lead you in the direction you want to go one day. And so on that level, parents were amazing. I mean, my mom was my biggest fan, best mother in the world. Uh, and I also have an older sister, younger brother. I'm extremely close with both of them. Talked with both of them today. And we just had a special bond within the family, you yeah. know, and 
it was amazing. And why it's important for me to state that is, is because drug addiction has changed and drug addiction has evolved to 22 million Americans. Okay. That's the number. And it's, it's the doctors, it's the lawyers, it's the teachers, it's in the suburbs, it's in, it's in the poverty areas. It's, it's everywhere. It's not just in one area. And my story is an example of that. And my story is an example of what can happen to anybody, you know? Um, and so what my, what my younger days look like, like I said, I was an athlete. I was involved in sports from a very young age, uh, three sport athlete, football, basketball, and baseball. Freshman year, I stopped playing baseball to, to pursue football heavier. And I remember freshman year of high school, um, I took my first drink. And when I took that first drink, it did something for me internally. Mm-hmm. And what it did is, is it took away the anxiety. I wouldn't say I had depression, but I had anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. like it was a weird time. Uh, puberty hits. Oh, you yeah. don't know what to do with it. It's weird, you know? man. It's weird. It's high school. It's high school. Um, and it took that away. It took the anxiety away. It took the feelings of, uh, because the example I use is, is I could be in a room full of people, everybody I know, close friends. And I still felt alone. I had a pit in my stomach. And alcohol eased that pit. And I remember waking up the next day. I don't think I felt the best. Um, And I didn't have a feeling of like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life or anything like that. But I knew I liked that feeling. So I didn't pursue drinking heavily. Um, I had responsibilities to my coaches, the teams I was on. I took those responsibilities very seriously. I wanted to be a team player. I wanted to be a part of a team and I wanted to lead by example. And I knew doing those things was not going to lead the team the way our coaches wanted. Exactly. Right. You know? Um, And then at 15, between 15 and 16, uh, my dad had shoulder surgery. And with some of the music I was listening to at the time and uh, Brett Favre was my idol growing up. I played quarterback. He was quarterback. And, and I knew some of the things started coming about, about his Vicodin usage and, that was a oh, real yeah. thing. He was, yeah, he was a hardcore addict. Hardcore, that. hardcore. Um, and I found my dad's prescriptions for Vicodin and Percocet. And, and I'll never forget the day. Um, what I literally did is I ran to the grocery store because I was sneaky and sly. I thought I was. And I picked up two bottles of Excedrin. And I switched out Excedrin for his wow. pain pills. Um, so he wouldn't know that they were gone. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, <quite> the- <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'll never forget taking those two pills. I hopped in my car, I was driving to school, and I took a Vicodin and a Percocet. And within 30 minutes, I had a feeling that I've never felt before. Oh, yeah, Vicodin's, I mean, I've never tried Percocet, but Vicodin's yeah. pretty intense. It's intense. I, uh, I, when I had my wisdom teeth out, when I was like 12 or 13 or something, uh, they gave us Vicodin, and I remember taking it, you know, as a kid, as a teenager, whatever. And it was, I was out of it, yeah. groggy for like twelve hours. Yeah, but I do remember after that, I was like, I, I don't want to take any of this stuff. This yeah. is weird. Exactly, I and that's that. and that's the difference, right? Mm-hmm. Because you had that effect. I had a complete opposite effect. Mm-hmm. The effect that I had was within thirty minutes, I made a commitment in my mind that I'm gonna take this for as long as I can, as much as I can, for the rest of my life. Wow. And that's the separation. Mm -hmm. That's the separation. Um, Because it gave me that that euphoria. Yeah, man. Pills are, whew. They've really taken, like, the country, man. Uh, Especially, like, those pill mills, like, in Florida that came out, like, 10 years ago. It's just, it's insane. So many people. It's just, 
it's like it's so easy to get too yeah that's the problem the access for yeah. sure big time and now i mean the opiate epidemic's been on the rise yeah it's been on the rise but the thing that's even i mean because you take a percocet and a viking it's scary alone especially in the consumption that that you take it the more you get addicted yeah and what's scary and getting scarier these days is is the fentanyl that they're putting oh, yeah. in the, the fake pill stamps and you don't know what you're getting you know and you don't know the dosage of fentanyl uh, there was just a 60-minute special about a month back, and you could take one of these pills, and, and that might be the one that's loaded with fentanyl and, and, and never wake up. Exactly. I just had a friend of mine uh, tell me that they knew someone, a close friend of theirs, who they thought they were getting sleeping pills from someone, and when they took it, uh, it, had, it was fentanyl, and they died. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And they all thought he committed suicide or something, and then when they did, you know, when they the autopsy. autopsy, they found out it was fentanyl, most likely... You know, if it's fentanyl, you know. Yeah. Whew. It's scary. It's scary, man. It's, uh, and that's, and that's, and we'll get into why I do what I do today mm-hmm. and why I'm so passionate about it is because I want to help with that. Yeah. You know, and, um, because as my story progresses and as it continues to get worse, and I'll get into that, but it, that, that spot of being so alone is so scary. That yeah. if I didn't have the people around me, I wouldn't have made it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be sitting here with you. This yeah. would not be happening. So you're a teenager. You take this. You get hooked. Yeah. So where do you go? Mentally. Mentally yeah. get hooked. You know, mm-hmm. because at that point, I wasn't physically addicted. Yeah. Because right? those yeah. scripts ran out. And I remember going to high school and I would I talked to a guy, uh, not necessarily in my circle of friends, but I knew he might have access to drugs. And I said, mm-hmm. hey, man, I needed you to keep this on the DL but do you think you could find these for me? And I was like, I can't let anybody know. And, and thankfully he didn't, he couldn't find them. Um, and I remember I pursued him for a couple of days, couldn't get a hold of them. And that's where that ended. But in my mind, I still knew what I wanted. Yeah. And, and that, that was Percocet. Um, so I continued with high school. I went to a couple of drinking parties. I will share this story because this is not why I became an alcoholic or drug addict, but it, it's what did set a mindset. And I came from not necessarily a huge town, but it was a big football town. Friday nights was huge. Mm-hmm. The whole town was there. And, and I was, we lost four games in four years. So I was lucky to be part of an extremely oh, solid, yeah. solid team. I can imagine. Um, and I was driving home either 16, 17 after a game. I was coming from a bonfire 2 a.m. and a cop pulled me over. And his first words, words were, good game tonight. Do you need a ride home? And in my mind, it gave me that mindset, like, I can get away from this. Like, yeah, I can get invincible. away with it. Yeah, invincible. Exactly. Invincible. Wow. The best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what high school continued to be. You know, I, I drank here and there. I couldn't find any Percocet. Um, I graduated high school. And there's that decision, right? There's that decision. Go to college, don't go to college. And for me, it was go to college. That's what my family did. That's what I was expected to do. And I went to college with the with the main reason to I'm gonna party. And that's it. Oh yeah. Like that was that was it. That's what it's there for. for yeah. A lot of people, <laughs> yeah, honestly. Man. Big time. If you have social media, you see what happens at these college, you know, game football games before or after. You know, it's nuts. Big time. Dang. It's, uh, it so, was a world that, yeah, yeah, changed me. So you made the decision to go? Made the decision. I went to University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, I remember checking in with my best, one of my best friends growing up. Uh, 
we got in our dorm room two weeks before with the simple fact that we were going to party. That's it. And he yep. had to connect on alcohol, and we bought one of like those big, big tubs. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. Filled it up with booze, put it underneath our bed, and t- first two weeks we partied. Mm-hmm. And shortly after, I met a guy on campus through the dorms, and he's like, you ever take Adderall? I was like, no, never even heard of it. And he's like, well, this will really help you study. This will really help you focus on whatever you want to focus on. Yeah. So I was like, awesome. You know, and I remember taking my first pill and I was dialed in. Like I was dialed in, nothing else, didn't hear anything else. I was focused on whatever I wanted to be focused on. Mm -hmm. And and for me, what that was, that wasn't class and homework. That was uh, Madden, (laughs) Mario Kart, and drinking. Yeah, you could party even harder. Party even harder. Yeah. And that's what I did. That was that was my freshman year of college. Was Mm -hmm. Adderall, and it's a stimulant. It's it's amphetamine, and with that, for me, I couldn't sleep. So the only way that I could sleep was to drink. Yeah. So I take Adderall during the day, and then I'd start drinking to fall asleep. And I remember I was like, cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And I was halfway through first semester. My parents came to visit me, and at the time. I mean, I was probably a couple months in, taking Adderall, drinking almost every day. And I remember I, I was starting to have, like, shakes in the morning. And I didn't know anything about alcohol withdrawal or being addicted to anything. And they came for lunch. I was like, guys, I think I have a lot of anxiety. Like, I think I have a lot of anxiety. I shake all the time. My heartbeat's going crazy. And it was either my dad or my mom, but they looked at me and said, how much are you drinking? Like, yeah. And I was like, not that much. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be like, I'm drinking and taking <laughs> yeah, Adderall. Really? Okay? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, like, uh, maybe once a week. Once a week, know. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I go out on Friday night. Um, So I didn't really put two and two together until later down the road. But what happened was I I ended up flunking freshman year. And I remember going to my advisor and and asking him, like, hey, can can you give me another chance? I'll do better. Give me another chance. I'll do better. And I truly meant it. Like in my mind, I made that decision. Like I'm going to go to class. I'm done messing around. Yeah, you can do it. I can do it. Get it together. Yeah, I'll get it together. And that summer – so four of really close friends, we ended up getting a house on the east side of Milwaukee, uh, all from high school. And I mean, I'm talking from the day, the day we moved into that place, we had a keg in the closet. We had parties nonstop and I'd go to work. I think I, I think that year I worked for a painting company. Uh, and this is when I found Percocet again, uh, through, a, I mean, through one of my best friends. Um, he actually started selling right around this time. And he was five feet away from me. You know, his room was right next door to mine. And I'd go to work, come home, take Percocet, drink, and get up and do it all over again. Wow. You know, and the Adderall was still there because when I'd get a little bit too tired, I'd take the Adderall and the party would continue. And that year I also found cocaine. That year I also got in a relationship with a girl who I was in a relationship for the next three years. Um that I thought I was going to marry, but in hindsight, I'm so grateful everything happened because I met my wife today. Yeah. Uh, who that's I love awesome. more than anything in this world. And all these things on the outside, like I had going for me, I had a job, I was going to college, I had another chance. And at night though, I was partying mm-hmm. and Saturday, Sunday was just a party for me. And I remember that Halloween, uh, we just got back from a Brewers game and I was up for about two days at this point. I was taking a bunch of Adderall, doing some cocaine and it was Halloween night and my arm actually went through a glass window. I was oh, so wow. messed up, went through a glass window. I was completely cut open. 
um, completely cut open and like just missed my artery. Oh man! And the muscle was hanging out, dangling. Ugh. And they wrapped it up in towels, rushed me to the hospital. And at the time, my heart wasn't wasn't beating right. Yeah, I can imagine. Completely messed <laughs> oh, up. Goodness. And the doctor came in. He pulled my girlfriend out. And he said, "Bobby, how much how much amphetamines are you taking today?" And I just told him. He said, "Bobby, if you continue to do this, you will die. You will have a heart attack." Yeah. Um, they sewed me up, got me out, and there was no follow up, no mm-hmm. anything, and nothing changed. Yeah, you just changed. like well, got through it. Got through it. Exactly. Um, and it goes back to your point of that invincible feeling. Yeah, I mean, that's what it seems like. It seems like you know when you get through something like that, you know, it could either be a wake up call or it could be like wow, you know, dodge another bullet, big time, you know. Man. Absolutely. And that's that's the mentality I took was Yeah. In my head I thought I was invincible. Yeah. And I ended up going into junior year. I flunked junior year again. Same story. Didn't go to class. Showed up for the final. Didn't know anything about the final because I didn't open a book. And I went, uh, or sophomore year, excuse me. And I went back to my advisor and said, give me one more chance. Went back for, for junior, first, first semester of the junior year, flunked out. And I said, I'm done. And I called my family and I said, I'm not going back to college. Yeah. And I was getting into, I mean, I was doing Percocet heavier. I was doing Adderall heavier. I was doing cocaine heavier. And I was drinking Monday through Sunday. That was that was guaranteed, and still living in a house with those guys, and they were. I saw them progressing, and not and not myself. And they were able to get up for class and go do what they needed to do. I mean, even my one of my best friends, um, he graduated college in three years, wow. partying just like I was, you know. But he had the discipline to get up for class, study, and do what he needed to do. I didn't have that discipline. Yeah, I've seen people like that in college, and some of my experiences who. I'm like, man, I don't know how you did. Well, I know how they did it. You know, lots of Adderall. Yeah, but for sure. They were, but they still did it. You know, and big you're time. Like, man, that is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how they yeah. did it. I hear you. Oh, wow, it was crazy. And then I had a decision. Like then I had a decision. What was my life going to look like? And I ended up getting a job at a bar through a friend. And this is when my life changed forever. Is I got a bar. I think I was 20. Got a job at a bar. 21 years old. And I got linked up with with a drug dealer. And it changed my life because now I had access to this drug dealer. Yeah. And, and at and right before this, right when I dropped out of college, my mom sold pharmaceuticals growing up. And she had a lot of connections with doctors. And she didn't know I was going behind her back. Um, oh. But I got into one of her doctors. And my rotator cuff's always been screwed up since football. Mm-hmm. And I went in. And at that time, they don't run MRIs or do anything. Because this is back in like 2008-ish, 2009. Oh, yeah. And the doctor knew my mom, and I, I went in there, and I said, Doc, I can't get into my doctor, but I'm on 30 milligrams of Oxycontin and 10 milligrams of Percocet. I left that day with 60, 30 milligram Oxycontins and 120 Percocet 10s. And that day, I'll never forget it, because that day was a day I was headed up north with my girlfriend at the time, and I literally, the thought in my head was, I've arrived. Like, I've made yeah. it. Like, this is my dream, and it's come true. That yeah. was my thought. Wow. And I remember going up that weekend, and I took a bunch of the pills. I was completely out of it. Uh, made an ass of myself. You know, like, just not yeah. not who I wanted to be. But in my mind, I was like, this is the life. You know, and, and, and I was escaping. Escaping reality. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine when you're on that many things how numb to everything you must feel. You know, on top of that feeling of, like, I can just put 
put whatever I want in my body and nothing seems to be, you know, you're not dead, right? So Big time. Jeez. But, it, yeah, I, and that just, you know, further just kind of screws up your perspective. You know, it's like you're further and further removed from reality, you know. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Wow. And that's it. You mm-hmm. know, it's like you just completely check out. You, yeah. You're numb to everything because what I didn't share is at that time, my sister got diagnosed with cancer. Wow. My grandma got diagnosed with cancer. I believe my aunt also got diagnosed with cancer. And my dad had a brain tumor. And what I can tell you is I didn't show up for any of them. And I, I'd lock myself in a room and I'd take a bunch of drugs and drink to numb myself instead of showing up for my family. And there's a, you know, this man is very instrumental in my life today. And he, he's not with us anymore. They actually just did a walk for him this past weekend. But his name was John Cassidy. And he got diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. And his family is our family. His kids are, you know, my sisters, my brothers. Um, extremely close with them. And as he was going through his struggle, I could not show up for him. Wow. And that, you know, that haunted me for a long time because I loved that man. I loved his family. And I'm locking myself in a room trying to numb myself because I can't show up for them. And that man, I mean, he was a coach to my brother. He was a coach to me uh, in life. And, and just somebody that alongside my father that I really looked up to. Like he had a great marriage. He has great kids. Um, he's somebody I want to be like, you know, and, 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 and he was a huge part in me getting sober. I used to pray to him all the time. And I believe he still walks with me, um, still guides me. And, and he's a huge instrument. But what the point of me saying that is all these people that I cared about and loved, I was so numb to what was going on in their lives because I was numbing myself yeah. and I could not handle it, you know? Yeah. And that's the selfish part of it. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a, a certain feeling of like, it's like, you know, something they don't like, you know who you are and what you're doing they, and they don't. So they, that's, that's a hard thing to be around. It's absolutely. hard to be around those people when you know, you know, that what you're doing and it's a great path point. you're going down. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you don't want to show face. No. Yeah. You don't want to show face. You haven't showed up in a while. The contact stops. So if it's like you show up to some and you haven't talked to these people in six months, it's awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, like where have you been the last six months? Yeah. And my problem was just getting worse. And I met that drug dealer. I was getting the the prescriptions from my doctor and those started only lasting a couple of days. And I remember I was sitting outside of the bar with a, with a friend of mine and I was like, man, I'm sick today. And he looked at me. He's like, did you, did you take any pills? And I was like, no. He's like, you're addicted. Wow. You're physically addicted. And I said, no, I'm not. He's like, that's what happened. You're, you're withdrawing right now. He's like, I promise you, if you take a pill, because it started feeling like the flu and I wasn't feeling good. I was nauseous and my legs wouldn't stop shaking. And he's like, if you continue, Bobby, you're going you're gonna to ruin everything you have. You're going to lose your family, your friends, Whew. any money you'll ever have. Mm-hmm. job, everything that you think is important will go away if you keep going on this path. And once again, I was like, no, it won't happen. It won't happen to me. Yeah. Um, and my, my problem just escalated. And at the point I was working Monday through Sunday at the bar, cause I had to supply my habit. And at that point it was about 300 milligrams a day of Percocet. And I'd work, I'd open to close, I'd leave work, go see my drug dealer, go home, do it all over again. And that was my life. Yeah, jeez. And it just got from there I, you know, the girlfriend caught on. I told her she broke up with me. Great decision, you know. Um obviously I was devastated, but 
I didn't know what my life had in store, you know, and, and I moved in with mom and dad and they were going to fix me because they loved me mm-hmm. and they cared and they didn't know about drug addiction, you know, like they, they didn't know what to do or how to do it. Oh, and they yeah. tried to love me back to health like any parent would do. Exactly. And I remember I detoxed on my grandparents' couch, my sister's couch, my mom and dad's couch. And I was about two weeks sober. And then we started game plan. Like, what are you going to do? And I'll never forget that day. And I stayed in contact with my drug dealer while I was sobering up. I said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get sober. And she's like, awesome. Awesome. Get sober. And I called her two weeks sober. And I said, I want one pill. She's like, Bobby, I'm not going to give it. You're doing great. I said, I want one pill. She's like, no. I was like, I'm either coming to you or I'm going to go to someone else. She's like, come over. So I got there. She tried talking me out. And I, I remember, and in, in, have you seen the movie Flight? Yeah, I have. Like at the end mm-hmm. with Denzel. And I remember saying to her exact words, I'm not a drug addict. Yeah, I can choose when I want to get high and, and don't. Mm-hmm. And that was where my words to her. And I believed that in that moment. And I yeah. did that pill. And I stayed sober for another two weeks after that. And I ended up going to a job interview at, at a place called Quad Graphics, big printing company in Milwaukee. And on the way to that drug test, before I was to start work, I, I called my drug dealer and I was like, I need 30 10 milligram Percocets. And she was 10 minutes away from the plant. And I drove there. And on my way to the job, uh, the drug test, this was this battle in my head. Yeah. Like, I, if I take these, I'm not going to pass this yeah. drug test. I'm not going to get this job. And I need this job. Yeah. And it was just battle the whole time. Wow. And I didn't take them. I got the, the 10 minutes of the drug test, took the drug test. And the moment I got out of there was the decision that I was going to manage this problem now. I'm not going to let it get that bad. I'm not going to be doing 300 milligrams a day. I'm going to manage it. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I believe that as well. And it started with, I'm going to do one 30 milligram Percocet a day. And I'm not going to lie, for about the first week or two, that's what I did. I'd work a 12-hour shift, come home, take one 30 milligram Percocet. Yeah. And the family didn't know because it wasn't really impacting my life. And I'd come home, I'd take it, I'd eat, and I'd go to bed. It's just enough. <laughs> just enough to, like, let the edge off. Yep. You know, and... I ended up getting a promotion at that job about two two months in to become a machine operator. And now I'm thinking, like, this could be a lifelong career for me. Machine operator, great benefits, uh, can work as much overtime as I want. You know, we're looking at this is my life, and I can make good money doing this, yep. and I'm just going to be a factory worker the rest of my life. And I was sitting there. I was on somebody else's line, this lady, and she looked at me, and I must have been complaining about not being able to go to the bank. And... She's like, if you ever need to borrow money, let me know. She was a 40-year-old woman right out of a divorce at a 15-year-old son. And my Percocet habit at that point started becoming two a day, three a day, four a day, five a day. Family caught on, asked me to take a drug test at 8.50 on a Tuesday night, came back positive, and mom and dad said, you got to go. And I'll never forget it. It was 9 o'clock. Dad said, where am I taking you? And it was hard for them because they didn't want it. They didn't, they didn't I mean, they oh, loved me. Yeah. Well, you know? They don't want to do that. They don't want to do it. No. And what and I've told them this over and over and over again, sometimes it's hard for my mom to comprehend this part of it. But that day they saved my life. And I didn't get sober that day. But the day that they stopped and said, you're on your own is the day they saved my life. And I ended up going to my drug dealer's house. With the time I've known for about two years, and she was a crack cocaine addict. And to rewind a little bit, I'd always tell her, I'm not going to smoke crack cocaine. She didn't pressure me. She never pressured mm-hmm. me. And I have a whole life of I'm never going to do this. Because at 
14 years old, I said, I'll never be a drug addict. Uh, it's not my life. That's not my path. And at 22 years old, I looked at her and I said, I want to smoke crack cocaine. And that was the moment my life was going to change forever. And I didn't even know how it was going to change. But it, so I, I'm a 300 milligram a day Percocet habit. And I'm, I just started smoking crack cocaine. And what it looked like was I ended up moving, moving in with that 40-year-old. And moved into her apartment. At first it was on the couch. And she took me in. And I made up this story that I had cancer. Because she started borrowing me money. She started borrowing me a lot of money. And gave me her debit card wow. with her pin. And... I needed to explain to her where that money was going. And the only thing that I knew is my sister had cancer. And I knew a lot about the cancer that she had because I used to research it. So I'd have these elaborate stories of this cancer. Yeah. Wow. And she kept giving me money. And in a long story short, within seven months, I took $20,000 from her. Her <laughs> wedding ring, 19 checks. And at that point, she was coming for me. At that point, she's like, where are you? Yeah, you like, know? what's going on? And I was super suicidal. I had six 30-milligram Percocets left. And I called my sister, and I was like, I need help, like right now. And once again, she dropped everything. She came, picked me up, took me to her house. I'll never forget it. I ended up doing the last six 30-milligram Percocets I've ever done off her dryer. Wow. And I didn't know where life was going. But I started detoxing. And then four days into detox, I was at my grandparents' house, and God bless their soul, because uh, they've seen a lot of things in my life, positive and negative. But I can't imagine this day for them. It is four days into detox, they're seeing their grandson kicking on a couch. Two detectives knock on the door and say, is Bobby Cording here? Wow. And they said yes. And detectives walk in. They say, are you, are you Robert Cording? I say, yes, I am. They said, come with us. And... Um. I went with them. Yeah, it was heavy. Yeah, it gets my heart racing just, yeah. <laughs> just hearing it, man. Wow. It was heavy. And they took me down. They took me down to the shop and interviewed me. And I lied through my teeth. I was like, it's not me. I never did any of this. And what happened was they pulled up the footage. And all of a sudden laid out a bunch of things with me on, on tape. And they said, this isn't you. I said, yeah, it's me. You got me. And I thought at that point they were going to let me go back home. I yeah, thought, like, oh, you got me. You got me. I'm you done. Know, I'm done. And I saw how this works. No, no. <laughs> I was in for a rude awakening, and they and they booked me, and I spent. And I don't. A lot of people think this is funny, but it's the truth. I spent 36 hours in jail. Mm -hmm. 36 hours, and it was the worst 36 hours of my life. Oh, I'm not yeah. built for jail. I'm not meant for jail. I I spent the first, I don't know, 14 to 20 hours in a holding cell, lights on you, food was horrible. I was kicking because I was detoxing, felt like crap. And they ended up booking me, and I'll never forget it, because uh, this moment changed my life forever. And I was in an orange jumpsuit, jumpsuit shackled, arms and legs. Wow. Walked into a courtroom, and, and I looked behind me, and I see my mom and dad, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa, and aunt and uncle. And in that moment, the thought that came into my head was, how did I end up here? Yeah. How did like, my what are you life, doing? how did this happen? And I didn't know what was on the horizon, but I knew something had to happen. And, and luckily for me, and, and this is what my whole life's been, is to the point to where I'm at now, to the point where I was then, my whole life, people have carried me. I've had amazing leaders in my life. My family is, is, is number one, the most supportive family, you know, you can imagine. 
And I had a bunch of, you know, leaders in my life that were like, we're not going to watch him do this. If he wants help, we're going to help him. And they picked me up. I got released from jail on bond. I was looking at 19 felonies, six, 10 years in prison. Wow. And that shocked me because it was scary. You know, it was scary. Like, that's not the life I envisioned. That's not the life I wanted to live. That's not the life my family had for me. And in that moment, I had a decision what to do. And that was the decision I went to a 30-day in Wisconsin called Nova and learned that there was more people out there who struggled like I did, except these people also had a solution to the problem. Yeah. And that's when I met my therapist. That's when he told me to do that. Then I headed out to New Freedom, and it was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, hands down. I think oh, the yeah. first year of sobriety is extremely tough. I can imagine just because your whole life, like everything you know, is probably that cycle that you described. Big you know, time. now all of a sudden, like it's radically different. Big time. That's a big change, you know. Yeah, it was huge. Oof. And these guys picked me up, and a lot of them are lifelong friends. You know, the guy I talk about that that owned the place. He's my best friend today. You know, he's got an amazing family that I love, and he brought me into that. You know, he at three months sober, he trusted me enough to come into his house. Yeah, especially knowing, <laughs> knowing my history, knowing what happened last night, big time, in someone's house. Yeah, I mean, and it'd be hard. It was for him, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but what what that taught me was that he loved me. Yeah, and and I like I said, I had a great family who I knew loved me, but I didn't know that somebody that I just met for three months was going to bring me into his house with his at the time future wife. Yeah. And his daughter and trust me to be around his family, you know, and that that changed the outcome of how I looked at a lot of things. And he helped me see that he wanted to help me and he cared for me and loved me. So it grew this bond and I became very close with him and his family. I mean, he's my best friend. Uh, We talk almost every day and he taught me to dream big. You know, that's mm-hmm. something that I'm, ex- you know, like you and I've talked, like dream big, yeah. you know, dream big. And, and we want to do a lot of cool things in this world and bring a lot of people with us. Yeah, that, that's that's incredible. Yeah. And I mean, just like I think that it's really important to hit on that kind of like compassion that he showed you, because it's like even though you can be super grateful and feel blessed for your family's love and, and things like that, I still feel like. There's always that little switch in the back of your head that's like, well, it's your family, you know. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a truth to that because it is like, yeah, they're my family. I've known them forever. Like, of course they love me. Yeah. Um, but when it is a stranger or when it is someone who absolutely does not have to take on an extra burden in their life, absolutely doesn't have to help you, and they decide to, it's, it's just a weird, really cool, you know, motivating kind of feeling. And it kind of gives you more of a sense of responsibility, I feel Big like, time. you know, because you're like, wow, this person's really trusting me to come into their life, you know, now I, you know, I owe them that, you yeah. know, big time. And that's yeah. what, because that's what, it, that's what my life has evolved in now yeah. because these guys showed me what it was like to help mm-hmm. somebody fresh off the street, yep. uh, came in with nothing. Like I came in with a raggedy old suitcase, a couple pairs of clothes, uh, a pair of pants and some shirts, Yeah, you know, and these guys fed me. They clothed me. They walked with me. They told me this is what recovery looks like, and we're going to walk with you every day on this journey. And it was this group and this brotherhood that lifted, 
lifted me. They carried me. Like there's no yeah. other way to put it. Yes, I had to take action, but it was the action that they were walking with me, showing yeah. me this is what you do. You know, and I mean to fast forward, I met my wife. You know, at the time I didn't know that she was gonna be my wife, but yeah. I met her and learned how to be in a relationship sober. That was a whole thing. Um Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, I was new. Sweet. You know, and this this woman is just her heart is just pure gold. Yeah, and you, you said uh, you'd made a comment. They're like, "Yeah, she's got a crazier story than me." Yeah, yeah, that's, like you would never imagine. She was homeless on these streets. Yeah, that's rough too. In the summer, we see it. We yeah. see it all the time around here in Phoenix, Mesa, wherever. I always think I'm like, "Oh man, that is rough." Rough. Yeah. And she was homeless, riding her bike, living behind a dumpster, picking up Percocet on a daily basis. Wow. You know, and then all of a sudden, I met her and. We took it really slow, uh, like very slow, uh, but it was so cool because who she is as an individual, like that's, and that's what I mean, like this whole life has had a purpose, you mm-hmm. know, and, and to fast forward seven years, being on this journey with her for the last six and a half, yeah, like we're going to do some pretty cool stuff. Oh, yeah, you know? and like you're still so young too. Big time. How old are you, Bobby? 31. 31, man. That's incredible. It's like you've lived an entire life up to now and you still, you know, you're 30. Absolutely. Like, that's incredible. Absolutely. It's just crazy to to just see and know and hear like how extreme humans, how people can become, you know, how like both sides of the pendulum, how far it can swing and how, you know, things like drugs or monster society, things like that can just totally suck you in and completely warp you to be something. And then just a few years later, you can be doing like what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's pretty incredible Thank to you. see just what people are capable of. Big you time. Know? And that's why it's important too. like you're saying, like dream big, because it's like you're capable of it. Absolutely. Like you can do it. Absolutely. I just, don't, I just think a lot of people just uh, they either can't get out of that cycle and they just program it in their head. It's almost like you're saying that feeling of being invincible. It's like you're programming your mind. Like, I can manage it. Mm-hmm. I can, I'm invincible. So you program. You're like, okay, then I can handle it. So I can keep doing drugs. 100%. I, I can keep engaging in this behavior that I'm in. Or for other people, it's just maybe it's not drugs and whatever, but they're stuck in life. They, you know, for work, their work isn't fulfilling or their life isn't fulfilling, but they program their mind because they say, well, I can never do this. I can never do that. I can never start my own business or whatever it is. Yeah. And they program in their head that they can't do it. And then they never do hundred percent. And that's like, and that's why I'm so big on, on association, like who you're associating with, uh, and the people that you have in your life. Because for me, it's, it's the dreamers, you know, it's the like-minded people that want to do and it doesn't necessarily have to be my dream. It's mm-hmm. just the dreamers, whatever that dream is, because that stuff gives me the juice to go do what I do on a daily basis. Because when you start getting in a room full of those people, you start realizing they can't be stopped. And yeah. that's powerful. And it's not this ego thing of they can't be stopped, they're invincible. No, it's that when a group of like-minded people get together, what they can overcome and what they can accomplish together Oh yeah. It's huge. Yeah. You know, and that's for me, that's, that's it. You know, that's yeah. it. And that's just, oh man, that's just the sad thing too about, um, you know, like especially pills in this country, like today, it's like so many people, they feel like, oh, I need it. I need this thing. Or even yep. just people. I mean, I, I understand there is a place for maybe pills with like anxiety and depression 
it can maybe serve a purpose um, in some ways. I've, I've yeah. heard stories of people who have used Absolutely. it correctly, weaned themselves off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but so many people I've heard talk like, oh, well, I have anxiety. So, you know, I, I take, if I don't have this, I, I can't function without it. And I'm like, I think you can. I really do think you can. Yeah. I think the fact that you're so afraid, then you can't, right? But I think you could if you really tried. Yeah. You know, and I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Yeah. You know, so I wouldn't never, you know, I don't want people just to take my advice and run For with sure. it. But I'm just saying, I just believe like what you were saying, like, like your brain is so powerful. Like it can bring you to the brink of craziness, mm-hmm. but it can also bring you to the brink of like success and happiness and, you know, wealth and, you know, like, yeah. And even wealth, like we were talking about before, not just monetary value, but, yeah. you know, having internal. Yeah. Like that good connections with your friends or family or people, you know, you're doing things you like and enjoy. Um, but yeah, people, they just, I feel like so many of these drugs and pills have just taken and the access is so easy. It is, you know, like in Florida, like we, I mentioned before, um, I think it was like 10 years ago, 2009, 2010 or whatever, maybe even more recent. They got busted having, um, these pill pills. Mills? Yeah. Next yeah. to the actual like physical therapy places. And yeah. some of them, they said they were inside. Like you go to one window and like talk about what's wrong or go to physical therapy. And then in the next window is where you get your drugs yeah. and you're like, man, like, and, and all for what, you know, money, profit. It's like, dang. it's crazy. I mean, there's doctors still getting arrested. Yeah. You know, there's, oh, it's yeah. still happening. It's yeah. still happening. And I mean, you see it a lot in the school. I know that. Oh uh, yeah. I see it a lot when I go speak. Yeah. And, we've had, um, this has been a rough year too, like even at the high school. I mean, we're a small high school. We yeah. have less than 300 kids and, you know, we've already had multiple, you know, students who've had a lot of issues that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, and there's probably way more than that. It's way more than, because if you're, whatever you're catching, you're like, wow, there's fivefold this out there. And some of them, it's, it's not just like some kid, oh, this kid has some weed on him or something. It's like, where are these kids getting these pills from? You know, where are they getting this stuff from? Yeah. Where are they getting that from? Or you hear them talking about it or, you know, they get caught because they put everything on social media and it winds up somehow getting back to, you know, people at school, you know, seeing it like faculty members. And you're like, dang, this kid's like 14, 15, like, because then you just know it's not just the drug either. I'm like, whoever they get it from or like that world that's associated with these drugs is so rough big time, and terrible. And I'm like, this is a child. Yeah. Like your brain's not even fully developed until you're in your 20s. Yeah. You know, what, like what's happening to these, this generation of kids too. And not just, you know, people our age. Um, it's scary. It's super scary. Cause the numbers seem to just go up from what everything I see. It's going yeah. up and up and up. I mean the over, the overdose rate alone has gone up exponentially mm-hmm. every single year yeah. and, it, and, and it's still rising, you know, and that's where I think it's so important because for me, I didn't know there was resources out there, Yep. you know, and that's where. I like to come in and with a team, you mm-hmm. know, cause I got, there's a team of people and, and, and for me, team is huge. And, and with this team help as many people as we can, Yeah, you know, that's and great. there's teams like that all across the country, you know, and a lot of good people that I work with cause the common denominator is just like you, like we want to help. Yeah. We want to help. We want to bring, because I don't know if we'll ever be able to stop this thing. My hope is we do. Yeah. My hope absolutely mm-hmm. is that we, we, we slow it down enough to where it's not the epidemic that it is today. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Definitely. Um, 
However, I know that's going to take an army. That's going to take yeah. years and years and years and years of work. It's probably going to take some uh, reformations and laws and, and stuff too as well. I, I've, you know, There's a lot of debates that go on with you know legalization, decriminalization, things yeah. like that. But I do feel like whatever we've been doing in this so-called war on drugs, it doesn't seem to be helping. You know, yeah. um, It seems to be getting crazier. And, you know, there's also a lot of debate when, you know, see people talk about, you know, well, is, uh, you know, is addiction a disease or is it not? Or is it behavior? Is it just a chemical hook or whatever? I think it's me personally. I think it's deeply rooted in a lot of things. It's got his feet all over, you know, not only is it, could it be a chemical hook? But like you said, you know, before it was ever a chemical hook, it was your mentality. Big time. Like this is a feeling I like, or this is a, you know, this has created a world for me that I want to be in, you know? And I just wish more people could be more aware of, you know, how much addiction's going on. But just also, like, does it really matter whether, like, why do we got to get in these arguments of, well, is it a disease or is it not a disease or is it, should it be, you know, this or that? 100%. It's like, why don't we just recognize that it's something? Yeah. And just like, yeah. help people. <laughs> yeah. You know? Absolutely. You know, because a lot of people, what I see, and it, it kind of, it always kind of hurts a little because I'm like, come on, man. They're, like, people are messy. Mm-hmm. I always say that I'm like people are messy no matter what industry it is there's going to be some messiness to it cuz we're people you know we make mistakes and when people just blame like well they didn't have to take it or they didn't have to do that well I always think like you just said you're like hey when I was 14 I didn't think I was going to grow up to be a drug addict yeah I just stumbled into this thing you know like people don't I mean people are should be held accountable yep but people are messy you mm-hmm. know and we got to like have that compassion I like that. Yeah. Big time. Because uh, today it is classified as a disease. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're so spot on, you mm-hmm. know, is, and, and you can go back and forth with that all day. Can, because yeah. what I like that you said too was accountability. Because yeah. it, for me, it's not running around being like, I have a disease, I have a yeah. disease, I have yeah. a disease. What I can tell you is it is the only disease that people will have. Or a doctor might say, hey, I believe you have the disease of alcoholism or the disease of drug addiction. And it's the one disease where the doctor says do A, B, and C. Yep. And you can be recovered. And people say, nope, A, I don't have it, and B, I'm not doing the work. You know, like if <laughs> yeah. you had cancer and you're going yep. for chemo, you're going to do exactly what exactly. the doc says, right? Yep. This is the this is one of the only things I've seen where people are, you know, they run from that. And I yep. get it. I get it uh, because I've been there and I've done it. Oh, that. yeah. Uh, I think it's probably hard, too, for people because it's also one thing that a doctor can tell you that. And if it is anything else, if it's a heart disease or if it's, you know, chemo or, or, you know, leukemia or something like that, you could be like, wow, like I did nothing. I just got it. You know, like I have it or whatever. Absolutely. But that you have to recognize and be, take a self accountability and be like, I did this to myself, you know, through my actions to the, you know, no matter what circumstances, you know, people come from different circumstances and whatnot, have different things happen to them, but you still have to take that self recognition of like, I put myself here. Yes. But I definitely think you can have that and have that accountability. But it's still like, this is a, I mean, this is a serious thing in your life. It is a disease in your life. It's not. And yeah, I just get, I mean, it's obviously you only see that stuff on like social media and whatnot, which is, oh man, social media is a, (laughs) it's it's its own disease to be honest. (laughs) But uh, I just, I'm like, hey, why don't we just not worry whether or not you think it's, you think it's a disease and you don't or whatever. Why don't we just recognize, like I said, like it is a problem. It's a serious problem. I like that. And, uh, man, I can't, I mean, even if you just remove like the morality and ethics from it and you probably looked at just like the cost that 
that it takes on the economy. I'm sure there's a lot of money that's just wasted because people have these addictions. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and the crime rate and, and, crime and everything, and everything, you know, because because you know. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very frank on this. Jail is to me, jail is not the solution. No, jail yeah. and prison is not the solution. Now, of course, for and we don't need to get into this because this will go off topic. I think jail and prison serves a purpose for certain things. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and this is not me taking accountability away from somebody mm-hmm. that has a drug problem. Not at all. They have actions, and 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 we have repercussions for our actions. Exactly. I'm all about that. But when you start talking about the the majority of people, if we put the amount of money into resources and getting help for the people that are addicted sooner before these crimes happen, before all this stuff happens, and, and now it takes that's a two part thing, because if somebody's not ready, they're not ready. Exactly. You know, so that's a whole nother story. But if somebody is ready and they don't have the resources, that's where I want to come in. That's my lifelong yeah. mission is is I will one day have a scholarship fund where I'm sending people to treatment. That's awesome. You know, and I also want scholarship fund sending people to college, mm-hmm. you know, because I believe in, in people. Yep. I do. And, and my heart is for the people. And I want to do everything I can in my lifetime to make an impact on, on my community and the, and the greater good of this world. You know, and yeah. I want to leave that stamp because, like I said, the whole reason why that's important to me is because that's what people did for me. That's what yeah. people are still doing for me. You know, that's, that's how we're sitting here today. Yeah, exactly. Because people took that, you know, made that decision to invest in you. Um, and that's how I feel too, man. I have a, I come from a great family, you know, I was blessed enough to have a family that was always there for me. You know, my parents have been together, you know, not a lot of people have that, but, um, I recognize that and I'm like, man, like I've been given so much in this world. If I don't know, or at least feel like I try to give more than I took between now and whenever the end is like. Man, what was it for then? You yeah. know, like I was given so much, so so much that you can't even really describe it. You know, words can't do it justice. Um, it's really just an intrinsic kind of gratefulness I have that I understand. Um, so I try, you know, I'm trying as hard as I can to be like, how can I, how can I give back, or how yeah. can I be, how can I just give more than I take? Because I think a lot of people, love that. their immediate thought is like, how much can I get? Yeah, you know, I just I need to make money. I need to do this. I need how much can I get? And you're allowed to have self-interest, you know, you're allowed to be self-involved as well, I think. But at the end of the day, what is the purpose of it if you're not, you know, bettering people around you? Big talk. Because we're social people. Absolutely. You know, we're not, I mean, I know those people are like, oh, um, you know, I like to just hang out and watch Game of Thrones or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we are social people, man. Like you said, like, you know, the when you would lock yourself in a room because you didn't want to be around, each, you know, your family or whomever because you're doing drugs and whatnot probably didn't feel great you know horrible yeah it's like i've never felt good alone (laughs) i don't you look at a lot of people too you're like you know they talk about one word that's always associated with depression is loneliness you know Mm -hmm. or even all those commercials where they're trying to sell you uh, drugs like what's that one what's that one for anxiety and depression uh it's not like zoloft it's like I forget. I'm blanking on it, but yeah. it's like, or do you feel lonely? Yeah, you're very lonely. You should, you know, take yeah, this drug. For and sure. That's the other crazy thing is that we're the only country that you're allowed to advertise drugs to people. I know. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's like you should not be able to just straight up advertise drugs to people because those ads should say like, "Oh, are you lonely? Go meet someone. Go do a sport. Go do this. You know, find a hobby. Mm-hmm. Go paint. You know, join a group of people with like-minded interests." Like. 
that'll do you worlds better than a drug will. 100%. And know? that's where, and I think you and I are both very clear on this, there, there's a time and a place for those drugs, right? Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. You and I agree on that. Ah. Uh, because that's the thing, and I think what's what, what what we're talking about, and what I see is being lost a lot is connection. Yeah, connection with human beings, you yeah. know. And, and we can blame it on whatever we want to blame it on. What I just try to focus on is is how I'm going to connect to people on a daily basis, yeah. because that's where I get fuel. And don't get me wrong; I mean, I need some space as well. Oh yeah, but for sure. Yep. What you? I mean, connection is huge, man. And a lot of people aren't getting it, whether it's the video games, the social media, the tv whatever it is and all that stuff's fine like i'm i have a phone i have an ipad i have a tv i got Uh, a show i like (laughs) yeah for sure um but i think that when we're plugging into that stuff 24 7 there is a detriment Mm -hmm. 100 percent. oh yeah that's a kind of scary thing with social media too is um i've seen a i've read a couple books um and people who talk about the the dopamine hit you get from a like, a like on social media yep. or share or someone saying something, um, it's equivalent to like, you know, drugs like cocaine or like Adderall. You know, it's like the same, almost Big like time. a register or a, they're even equating it to, it's even more of a pull than gambling. Yeah. Like pulling, a, you know, um, what is it? Like a slot machine. That makes sense. It's almost worse than that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's not good. No. Cause I mean, we will have treatment for... For social media, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it. we will video oh, games yeah. and social media. We'll see that in our lifetime. Yeah, and I see it in the schools too, because like there is a war for cell phones with these kids, and it's not because they need to be doing something, anything important on it. It's just it's this social media, Snapchat, Instagram. I'm like, man, this is this is getting bad. Well, and if you think about too, like it's the self image. I was just talking to my wife about this last night. We had this big team leadership meeting last night, and. Uh, the self-image that you get from that like, mm-hmm. like that's what you base your self-worth off of yeah. is, is that like, is that follow, you know, yeah. and then all of a sudden we get these ideas backwards and that's why it's always been, and, and like I said, there's nothing wrong for social media. I think no. social media is a great platform. Yeah. Um, I'm all about it. However, when you start basing your life worth yep. and who you are as an individual on what's going on on your social media, that's a problem. It you is. Know? Um, that's- and that's why it's so big being around Mm-hmm. good people that are going to pick you up and having uh conversations with people too that was another big thing for me wanting to do this podcast is i'm like man this isn't i want to do it so it's not like i'm forcing myself but it, in a way i am forcing myself to sit down with people and have a conversation a real one an yeah. in-depth one you know because so many people how, how often we see people like hey what's up how are you i'm good yeah oh that's cool like how, how you know what's going <laughs> yeah. on work mm. yeah. are you happy you know like are you okay yeah it's like Hundred percent. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're not. You know, how many people just say, "Yeah, I'm good," and you're like, For "But sure. are you? Are you okay? Like, how are you?" I don't think we go to that. Not. I mean, not speaking for you or myself, but I think people in general struggle to just actually reach out, t- talk to someone, text them anything, and be like, "Hey, how are you? Like, yeah. really, how are you?" And try to dig deeper than just the surface level. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I was listening to this one podcast. This guy, uh, Rob Bell, he's this really cool, influential guy. Um, for me, at least, his podcast and the books he's written. Um, and he said he was at like a dinner party or something, and he was talking to this random stranger, this uh, older lady, and it was like kind of like that surface level. But he was like, "Oh, so but what do you do for work?" She's like, "Oh, I'm actually I retired." He's like, "Oh, but what did what did you do?" And he was asking these probing questions, and she's like, "Oh, I was a nurse." And he's like, "Oh, like where'd you work?" 
And yeah. he's like, she was looking at me like it was really weird because I was going deeper and deeper. But then after a few of those questions, they got to a point where he's like, oh, so you worked at the same hospital? So he wound up finding out she worked at the same hospital for like 40 years. And he's like, dang, what was that like the day you left? And then they wound up having this deep conversation about like, wow, like there is actually deep, you know, intentional things to all of us. Absolutely. But we just keep it so surface level or there's even people that I'm like, hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast. Let's talk. They're like, oh, I don't even know what I would talk about. I'm like, you have a life, right? Yeah. Like you felt emotions, right? Like that's yeah. powerful. We can all resonate with that, you know? And I, I just think there's not enough of it out there, you know? I agree. Because I've even had people tell me like, oh, you, why do you want to do a podcast? Like it's a really saturated market, you know? And there's a bunch of them. I'm like, yeah, but there's not mine. Yeah. Like there's not my perspective or there's not the people that I might have on. They may not have had their perspective out there either, you know? And uh, I just think it's good for people to kind of remove themselves from that comfort. hundred percent. I mean, you can't, because that's yeah. recovery too, is getting uncomfortable. Yeah, You know, exactly. to tie it all in because yep. what, you, what I started thinking about too, and this is just something like, what else you can do with your time? Like yeah. why not start a podcast? Like what am I going to do? Go home and watch Game of Thrones or whatever exactly. it is. Um, or you could be doing this, making an impact, changing lives, getting to meet people, mm-hmm. and and really doing some cool work. Like that's that's it. Yeah, that's like um, that's just how I feel. I was, you know, because I could easily be like, oh man, I'm getting off work. Oh, I gotta go. The I don't want to go the opposite way. I'm just gonna go home. But it's like if I just went home today, I would have just I don't what went to the gym, maybe made some dinner, and like chilled out you know yeah. got ready for the next day it's like no i'm gonna i'm gonna have this thing in my life you know a piece of me that i feel like is the creative side and get to create whatever this is and put it out and people like i don't really care yeah you know it's like but i'm doing something for myself absolutely and hopefully other people it resonates with as well and i always just tell people i'm like just go for it people are like well i can never do that i can never do this mm-hmm. it could be anything i'm like why don't you just try yeah you know like, take up that hobby or whatever it is, you know. Or when people say, like, oh, well, I wouldn't know what to do. I'm like, you think I knew what I was doing? Absolutely. I was just buying random mics and and things, and I bought wrong stuff, and I just watched and read, and I just, like, the first few, I didn't, I didn't know what I'm doing, you know. Yeah. I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know. Same thing with, like, working out or whatever. People are like, well, I wouldn't know what to do. I'm like, just ask someone. <laughs> like, people are more than willing to talk. 100%. You know. And, uh. Yeah, it's probably the same, t- even with like, you know, in your line of work, you know, people must feel like it's just hard to take that step, you know, because I feel like they think, we think of ourselves as like never changing. We think of ourselves as like who we are today, but we don't realize is like your things are forever changing. Like there is no stillness in life. I mean, the fact that you live on a planet that spins 300 miles an hour, hurtling around the sun at 10,000 miles an hour, whatever it is also traveling you know like you're in constant motion whether you like it or not absolutely and the clock doesn't stop so you might as well just go with it yeah you know be as fluid as the world around you you know and i think people are just so we just want to be set in stone but it's not good no it's stagnant no it depresses us and then you start taking stuff big time and (laughs) and what you're talking about is so i mean it's so spot on because How old are you? 27. 27. So in 10 years, you're going to be 37, okay? Yep. As long as nothing happens, mm-hmm. 10 years from now, you're going to be 37, regardless. Yeah. It's the same way, like, I'm going to be 41 in 10 years. Why not do something in the next 10 years? Yeah. You know, why not 
do the things that I want to do instead of just talk about them instead of, because that takes a lot of work. It takes action. And what I see people get hung up so much is, is I don't know what to do exactly what you were saying. And like you said as well, getting in front of the right people, asking for help. You want to go do something in this world, find those people that are doing it and find those people that you look at and you're like, Holy cow, I want that. Go figure out how they did it. Yeah. You know, and and learn by mistakes. Yeah, you know, exactly. I was just reading a book the other day, and what he was talking about uh, was people get hung up on the word no. People mm-hmm. hear the word no, and they stop. And what he was talking about is, is is failure rate to success rate. And what he was really big on is you got to fail before you succeed. And he was talking about his personal journey and a lot of successful people who failed numerous times. Um, and Michael Jordan shares a quote I can't quote the whole thing, but something about missing 26 game-winning shots. Mm-hmm. And on the bottom of it says, I failed over and over and over again, and that is why I succeed. Yeah, You know, and it's it's learning that here and no or thinking when you fail, it's like that's when we give up and stop. That's not the case. That's when we push harder. You oh, know, yeah. And continue to keep keep it moving. Because think about it. I mean, I, I can imagine when when you were sitting in a jail, you know, thinking like your world's gone. Because everyone would tell you that, you know, oh, if you've been a criminal, then you can't get a good job and you can't mm-hmm. do this. And, you you know, you've been addicted to drugs and you put yourself in this hole. Like, you know, there's people who can't handle a fraction of that, let alone be in those, that kind of circumstance. But, you know, when you're that low, it's like there's only, there's only one place to go then. You know, there's oh. only one place to go from there. And you can choose what path you want to take. Yeah. And it's not easy. I'm sure it wasn't. You know, you have to get sober. You got to do all these things, but you know, you're living proof that can be done. Hundred percent. Yeah. And what and what's even more important is there's living proof that there's a lot of people out there that are willing to help with that. Yeah. Because I can't reiterate it enough. I am not where I'm at today because of me. Mm-hmm. I'm at where I'm at because I believe in a creator, and because I got a lot of strong individuals in my life guiding me on this path. Oh yeah. You know, and that's where and a lot of those situations did take some uncomfortability. You know, getting uncomfortable, you know, reaching out for help. That's not fun. Oh, no. you know, uh, not in the beginning. It's fun no. now, but not in yeah, the beginning. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, uh, and there's a lot of people out there ready to ready to help people. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's what's really important for people to know, for anyone who listens who kind of is maybe struggling with anything, is that there's there's more people than you know that would that are there for you. 100%. You know, even if you don't think or like we always think like, well, I don't want to tell people this or that because I don't want to burden them with that. Like, I don't want them to worry. But that's what being a human is, helping each other, you know. And why would you just keep that to yourself and try and manage it? Most people can't manage their problems that very well. No. Like, I don't know any. <laughs> no. I mean, I can't. No, I, you know, I, I can't. can't. I don't go to life. I need help. Big time. Like, I constantly need help with things. Yeah. Um, but we always think, like, oh, you know, even people who are just dealing with, and we've talked about, like, depression, things like that, feel like they don't want to, oh, I don't want to, you know, burden you with this. It's like, how? it's not a burden. Yeah. There's so many people out there, like, I'm sure you're, you're the same way. It's like, you're like, it's not a burden at all. If you reach out, you need help, you need something, like, I'm happy to do it. You know, because, and it's not just because I'm like, oh, I just want to be the guy who goes around helping everyone. No, it's not that. It's like, I feel like, there's people built for that, you know, and a lot more people are built for that than, than we think too. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. That's cool, man. Though I think what you're doing is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, I think your story is just, 
so wild. Well, first word that comes to mind, like, yeah. wild, man. Yeah. Like, because you try to envision, you're like, I can't really envision, like, some of these things, you know? Yeah. But it's it's pretty crazy just to, like, like I said, how far the pendulum can swing for a person. Big time. You know, because you know where you can go or you know where you've been. Yes. You know, but it's also crazy because you're like, yeah, now I know what my trajectory can be, you yes. know? Absolutely. Which is pretty cool. And uh, I forget if, I don't know if we mentioned or if you mentioned, uh, you were able to repay back everything too, right? So, yeah. I mean, there's, I was able to pay back a lot. Part of the process is also making an amends. Yeah, um, definitely. And going to those people that I hurt, Mm -hmm. you know, and and not having expectations on whether or not in in the so-called, like, forgive you in a sense. But what I went and I did, I admitted my wrongs, you know, and said that I'm unwilling to live like this. Like, this is Mm -hmm. not the human that I want to be. This is not yeah. the friend I want to be. This is not the son, the brother, the family member that I want to be. And these are the actions that I'm going to take to be different. And then what was important is following through on that yeah. and really making changes. And, and of course I'm human too. I fall short. I'm yeah. not perfect. Oh, um, yeah. There's certain instances I haven't been able to make right mm-hmm. uh, due to legalities or yeah. certain people not want to see me. I totally respect that. Yeah. You know, it, there's, there's nothing more than I would like to be able to do that. But I also understand certain circumstances I'm not. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, everyone's going to react and respond differently. But I do think the important thing is like, I had this question once for someone I was asking them, I'm like, can you, can you forgive someone um, who can't, who doesn't want to hear you, you know, who doesn't want to hear you out, who you could never actually, they're not going to want to ever see you or talk to you. They don't. Yeah. But can you, for, can you still forgive them and feel like, you know, I've forgiven them and I feel like no matter what they may think or feel, like I'm at peace with it now. Yeah. Like, is it possible to be that way? Yeah. And it took me a little while to actually think till that one out, but I, I, I think you can. I think I agree. you can with, um, with if you, you know, in your heart if you have the right intention or not, and you know, like you said, it's not like I just need an apology so I can feel good. It's like, no, I'm at peace with, with this, you know. And what's helped me with that is what I, what I've come to is when anybody comes to me it's it's for me it's they're finding their peace Mm -hmm. like they find it necessary in their heart to do this so that they can grow yeah i'm not going to rob them an opportunity to grow um because that's what this whole thing's about it's 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 evolving it's changing it's growing it's becoming a better individual yeah you know and 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 people have allowed me to do that so i'm gonna allow others to do that 100 percent. yeah that's cool that's what uh like grace is all about huh big time yeah compassion and grace yeah that's the thing it's like I keep saying people are messy, but that's just, that's why I keep coming back to It's like, but it's so cool to see, you know, what, you know, what you've been through and what you're doing and where you're going to go. It's, it's, it makes me excited, you know, cause I'm like, I know like for people in my, you know, in my world or me myself, like, you know, what you're, what you could be capable of and you know what you can do cause you see other people doing it. And, uh, it's kind of cool to think too, all the different versions of yourself you could be. Cause you've seen like the crazy version, mm-hmm. you know, you've seen the drug addicted version, you know, now you're seeing this version. Um, and I, that's what I always try to keep in mind is I'm like, what, what version of myself am I being to people? You know, I like, and that. like you said, we're not always perfect. We're going to mess up and, yeah. you know, through all my own mistakes and stupid behavior, I feel like I, but I always try to ground myself and, you know, I'm grateful for my life. I'm blessed for it. And I want yeah. to at least strive to be the best version of myself. And that's huge. You got perspective, yeah. you know, because that's something that I've always maintained is, is, is keeping that gratitude. And when you keep that gratitude in the forefront, it yeah. makes it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. 
I like that. Oh yeah, gratitude, man. That's that's the one I always come back to because it's like, I think it was Tony Robbins. He said it. He said, if you're grateful, you can't be upset. If you're grateful, you can't be you know sad because you're grateful. Mm-hmm. So it's a good primer, you know, for your life. Yeah, that's cool. Love man, it. Though. Sweet. Well, we've done over an hour, and I awesome. feel like we've covered quite a bit. Yeah. But um, is there anything else you wanted to add or talk about? No, I don't any I mean, piece. I feel like we got a lot. We got a lot in that story. Yeah, we got man. a lot in. I'm really um, happy, but I was super excited you could do this, man. Thank you. I think you got a lot of good things going on. Thank you. And I was really happy because I feel like I've gotten to speak to you know people doing different kinds of things, and I've done some silly stuff, and but this is one where I knew you're someone that could be like a a door open, you know, to that kind of to anyone who would randomly listen or intentionally yeah. listen. They'd be like, oh, wow, like, what's this about? You know, like, yeah. maybe, just maybe, you know, you can get them set on the right path just by hearing what you've been through. Well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Uh, this oh, is yeah. this is awesome stuff. I think what you're doing is amazing. Getting getting a bunch of different stuff out there is, I mean, it's awesome. I listen to podcasts all day long. Yeah, so I know. Just, I know, just one I'm adding to the list. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to keep it moving. Yeah, awesome, dude. Okay, well, um, yeah, this was episode 13. This was awesome. And we're going to do some future stuff for sure, man. Cool. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Cool. And um, so, yeah, if you want to, do you have social media? I do. You do have social yeah. media. Still, so we want to plug that in real quick. I mean, if anyone you can wants plug to it in. check I you out. Yeah, Bobby Cording on Facebook. No Instagram account. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I'm sure you got some of the stuff, you know, that people could reach you, contact you. 100%. If they to. Yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll toss out myself. Uh, oh, if you want, man. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, your email, ever whatever. Anything. It doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, my cell is 928. Three seven nine nine two four six. I'm I'm an open book. Uh, I'm all about helping people, you know. So if anybody's out there and they're listening, and, and, and no matter where you're at in life, um, whether you're a drug addict or whether you just need somebody to talk to, just feeling down, anything you're going through in life, uh, I guarantee you, I know somebody that can help you. So cool, there man. It is. And is it cool if I post your email to yeah, you? Yeah, you can put, put your email, email out? Yeah. Okay, so if anyone wants to get any information or, mm-hmm. or like you said, you could either, hey man, just give him a call or text yeah. him because you got his number now yeah. or I'll post the email too. Um, Absolutely. Or you can just look at Bobby on Facebook as well. Yeah. And uh, you can check out this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, just look up E&E Let's Talk or you can look up E&E Let's Talk as well on Podbean and I'll post both the links too. Go ahead and follow at E&E Podcast um, so you get all that stuff up to date and cool that was awesome man thank you thanks for having me no problem